decided to use it as an authentic model for a modern replica. In 1973, scale drawings were executed by Mr. Fred Dungey of the British Museum staff under the auspices of Dr. Richard Barnett. The lyre was built in Berkeley by Robert R. Brown. The frame of the lyre, which measures three and a half feet by three feet, is of red birch, while the sounding box is of spruce. Crocker has strung the lyre with gut strings and has made oaken tuning pegs of the kind shown in ancient pictures. Each string is wrapped around the upper crossbar, and the peg, which is used as a lever to tighten or loosen the string, turns around the crossbar. The strings descend about three feet from the upper crossbar over a fixed bridge on one side of the sounding box to the base, underneath which they are attached. The common shape of the sounding boxes of Sumerian lyres is a stylized rendering of a bull's body with its head at the front. While some lyres have bearded bull's heads, the silver lyre's head is beardless. Sumerian Too lyres long. of this type of are not ideally suited for a song to stop No. 
song you got to watch ladies and gentlemen we do a little gimmick right here and it goes something like this one time I love you two times I love you honey three times I really love you baby four times I really love you now, honey. Five times the good Lord knows that I love you. Six times, oh, man, how I love you. Seven times, darling, you know that I love you. Eight times, oh, man, how I love you. Times I really love you, but good God Almighty, I love you. Good God Almighty, I love so many different ways in Radio Flat Black Plastic this is for all the folks up in Napa.
true I had a rendezvous with somebody new It's the only one I ever had Baby, baby, don't you go away mad Cheating shows and it never goes You've got a reason to be mad, I suppose For he was only just a passing fat baby admit that you feel upset what do you say that we forgive and forget come and kiss me just to prove you're glad baby baby don't you go away Yeah. <laughs> 
here. I hope this won't, uh, I just want to explain what all these mics for. I don't want to do an imitation of the president, and I don't have Jim Haggerty here, so uh, <laughs> I have Sherman Adams, though, in the back. At any rate, Sherman Adams, no, the president and, uh, and Sherman Adams and Arthur Godfrey and Tony Marvin. It kind of works out that way. Anyway, we're making records here, and uh, this cable goes back, and the recording engineer is Herbert Philbrick, whom you may know. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> I want to, uh, before I dig the brick wall, I'm still a bohemian. I don't want any of you to think that I sold out. And uh, the generation is now in style, isn't it? The beat generation. Anyway, I wanted to mention here, before we go any farther, that President Eisenhower is going to run for a third term. And I thought that should take precedence over homecoming speeches and all things like that. And uh, he made a speech last night, which got a, a seven on NBC. It says, right? And, uh, and, on the, uh, and Zorro got an 18. Well, anyway, so President Eisenhower is going to run for a third term, and in the meantime, or at least he said he would, Vice President Nixon has his hand on the switch. And uh, I was in the East when the president got sick, and Vice President Nixon moved in and started appearing in all these magazines, and he sort of came of age here at the end of the year. And uh, he's right, and he got his glasses, he got those new glasses and all, and uh, it was wrought iron frame, right? Remember those? So, Anyway, President Eisenhower and, uh, was depending on Vice President Nixon to keep his hand on the throttle. And he was, uh, he, sort of, he was on all these magazines like Time and Things Making Life. And almost every magazine, with the exception of True, which has a hidden significance, which I'm not. Anyway, so. So, anyway, by, <laughs> neutral colors. So, at any rate, the Vice President Nixon, as you know, was supposed to go to the NATO meeting. Uh, there, anyway, he's, he's in charge of calling eggheads back. That's what it says here. For the administration. So, uh, several eggheads have been called back, including Dr. Oppenheimer, who was granted amnesty this week. And, uh, and he is taking a quick course in German, so he may join the others defending our country. Right? So.
Radio.fm, this is the Flat Black Plastic Show. Playing old style, Flat Black Plastic, this round of full of grooves for you. From the public library, go to the public library, it's free.
brings you authentic police case histories. Waterman's Pens and Waterman's Ink present Gangbusters. Waterman's pens, everyone a master writing instrument, and Waterman's ink, the ink that goes up to three times as far as ordinary inks, are proud to bring you gangbusters, presenting facts in the endless war of the police on the underworld. Facts that show the operation of our law enforcement officials in their work of protecting our citizens. Commissioner Louis J. Valentine, on leave as interviewer of gangbusters, has now arrived in Tokyo, where he is to serve at the personal request of General Douglas MacArthur. Waterman's expects to bring you his voice by shortwave in the near future. Meanwhile, gangbusters has asked Dr. Carlton Simon of New York City, internationally known criminologist, to narrate by proxy tonight's case. Well, Dr. Simon, I understand the criminal in tonight's case played a major part in the plot which led to a spectacular escape from Eastern Penitentiary last Easter. He did indeed, Don Gardner. This killer, Bow Wow Bowers, was cunning, shrewd, and merciless. His background must be of extreme interest to criminology, Dr. Simon. It certainly is, Don. For the soundest way to combat crime is to know how the criminal's mind thinks and works. So I'm going to start tonight's case at a summer resort on a large lake in Wayne County, Pennsylvania. After dinner, a young couple was seated on a porch swing, looking out over the lake, which was brightened to silver by a full moon. Scranton never was like this, Horace. No? I was never in Scranton. You'll have to come visit me sometime. You'd love my family. I guess I would, Peggy, if they're anything like you. <laughs> Look, baby, you and me, well, we made a lot of progress in three weeks. I... Yes, Horace? Well, there's not many women I'd give a second look. Let alone kiss. <sighs> oh, darling. Yeah? Yes, Horace? Well, there's not many women I'd give a second look. Let alone kiss. Kiss. Oh, darling. Yeah? Do you really have to leave? I'll be back, Peggy, in a day or so. Oh, don't go, please. Believe me, baby, there's nothing I'd like better than staying here with you, but... I got to leave as soon as Andy comes downstairs. Oh, that Andy. Why do you have a man like that working for me? He's handy to have around. Andy drives the car, carries my samples, knows a lot of people. I still don't care much for it. He takes you away from me. But I'll be back to you. When?
Blitu interval is made clear, the lyre is then in Kitmu tuning. And indeed, if we change the augmented fourth, five to two, into a perfect fourth by raising the lower string, then the new scale formed by this change is the scale that can be generated by starting a series of alternating fifths and fourths on the interval Kitmu, six to three. The unclear interval is five to two.
God, my wife is so fat! My wife, my wife is so fat! Please, enough. Please, sit. <laughs> That's enough. Come on, 
this is all right. You know. Okay. You know. This is so exciting for Yash and myself to be here this evening for a number of reasons. First, you know, this is the, the first time that Yash and myself have been on the West Coast for one thing in Los Angeles, California. And I'll tell you... I'll tell you, it's really something. You know, because we're from the East Coast, you have Lutonia, really, you know, in yeah, a little town called Belbic. And there's, uh, you know, such a difference between our hometown and Los Angeles, you know, it's almost funny. Oh, yes, well. <laughs> that, well, no. no yeah, it is. No, no, but it is funny um, almost. Um, not not quite, real funny, no. but almost funny. Not, not what we call a big yuck. No, not the big yuck, no. But enough for some chuckles, maybe. Oh, sure. You know, Always for an example, for let me just say, in Los Angeles, you know, the sun shines all the time, oh. except for some isolated weeks in the winter. But you know, and that's one difference. That's one difference. No. Plutonia, the driving is so different also. Oh, the driving? Yes. You know, not to mention the cops. Oh, no, well, we can't forget... The cops, no, you, those differences there. How could you forget those? <laughs> no, we can't forget those, no question about it. But anyway, let's segue to this. You know, how many people out here, you know, know the, the, the great point? Anyway, let's segue to this. You know... Real funny, no. but almost funny. Not, not what we call a big yuck. No, not the big yuck, no. But enough for some chuckles, maybe. Oh, sure. You know, Always for an example, for let me just say, in Los Angeles, you know, the sun shines all the time, oh. except for some isolated weeks in the winter. But You know, and that's one difference. That's one difference. No. Plutonia, the driving is so different also. Oh, the driving? Yes. You know, not to mention the cops. Oh, no, well, we can't forget the cops. No, you... Those differences there. How could you forget those? <laughs> no, we can't forget those. No question about it. But anyway, let's segue to this. Deuce, deuce, revival was my problem solver. Had a deaf girl, really didn't want to end Baba in the life of a gangster. Used to rob gangster. But now I'm locked up. I'm just a punk low rankster. Jail cells know me too damn well. Seems like I built on earth my own personal hell. No matter how Somehow I always fail. Guess a lot of players got this story to tell. No matter how cold you roll, you simply cannot win. It's always fun in the beginning, but it's pain. Pain, pain, pain. Ever since I was a minor, but now I'm on the bricks, deep in the mix. Crime smart, searching hard for some new street trick. I think I'll join a gang, sling a little cane. Put a beeper on my belt and get myself a name. Fresh sneaker, silk shirts, 24-7 work. Nine to five to survive, you gotta be a jerk. I clocked two grand a day. Yes, I was born to play. Who, me, at Mickey D? 
Cause it wouldn't work no way I'm a big money haver but not the last laugher For me and for me makes me no autographer Cause the name of my dreams nightmares of capture Paranoid of surveillance phobia of cameras My bank's bigger but so are my fears Past records through players live limited years But I'm unlike the rest known to be the best Fast money true wealth my eternal quest I hustle all night long there ain't no gaining rest Close range bloods on my chest. I looked into his face. I thought he was my friend. My boy had set me up. This one would never mend. No matter who you trust, you simply cannot win. It's always fun in the beginning, but it's pain in the end. Pain, 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 She says, I scare her, got a light sunburn for too much poolside sitting. Cordless phone keeps me on, cause I ain't no quitting. Mine's in the money mode, since I get to explode. Curly's on my jammy, got a female overload. Young Street Messiah, professional liar. 19, got a Benz, 21, I'll retire. Crazy money, it ain't funny, sucker, loving my job. But just some people at my door that didn't even knock. Task force booming, dogging my crib out. Can't shout, FBI's got a gun in my mouth. Threw me on the floor, call my girl on. Putting G's out of my mattress and was looking for more. Crack my safe with an axe, then it'll out to the map. When they see my money kicking it in 20 G stacks. Book me on 10 counts with bells of different amounts. The charges stuck like glue, some that I couldn't pronounce. They threw my ass the book, my life was surely took. Then they gave my girl 10 years for hanging out with a crook. She played the game herself, fast lane, quick wealth. No respect for the law or the city's health. The sweat of hustlers' greed is not reserved for men. It's always fun in the beginning, but it's pain in it. That ain't nothing, cause when I get out of here, I'ma get right back in the money. Cause they don't know that I know what time it is, you see. I done learned something. I did half my time, but I didn't learn more when I was in here. And I'ma go right back out and get paid. You understand what I'm saying? Cause I did have my time. Word, I only got nine years left. Yo, Eva, what's up, man? They be bugging. They won't play our records on the radio, man. Say we violent, man. They need to look at the news, you know what I'm saying? Somebody need to kill that noise. And what you doing with that up under your shirt? Oh, man, it's time we put some head out words. Let's get busy. Come on, boy. this ounce of words is just a token is he who has a tongue to tell that must remain unspoken
almost forced to watch children's shows because that is all the time. And there's a very good reason for this. No matter where you turn on the dial, you're always going to find a kiddie show. And that is because the station makes such a killing on the kiddie show. You literally have to put it on. And it's a very low cost show to put on. First of all, Boys and girls, we're going to go on the air in just a minute. And uh, one thing I have to tell you, <laughs> during the cartoon, you boys and girls can't talk in the studio because that goes out over the air, see? And we've instructed our announcers, if you boys and girls talk during the cartoon, they're instructed to belt you right in the mouth. <laughs> Get the, okay, boys and girls, we're going to get ready for the show. And there's the announcer man, and he's going to talk in that mic. And now I'll come back and, and talk to you, boys and girls. Hey, hey. make boys and girls before I get into the mailbag. Um, <laughs> Come on out, boys and girls. Let's settle down now, boys and girls. That isn't nice to laugh at Uncle Freddy like that. You don't laugh at your mommies and daddies. You do laugh at your mommies and daddies. <laughs> Two announcements I have to make, boys and girls. As you know, we usually show the Three Stooges cartoons on Thursday. But uh, as I mentioned last week, they've been holding Uncle Freddy up on price. <laughs> and uh, Uncle Freddy has decided not to buy that show. I have bought a new cartoon show, which isn't quite as expensive. I think you boys and girls will enjoy very much. Call the Army Training Films. <laughs> today, boys and girls, is frostbite, so you want to be sure and watch that. <laughs> oh, 
uh, one other announcement, boys and girls. Today, we're adding the name of a new sponsor to our blacklist. <laughs> we're adding the name of Pops, new breakfast cereal. And, of course, all the members, uh, boys and girls in good standing in the Uncle Freddy Club, that, of course, means you can't have Pops for breakfast in the morning <laughs> or uh, play with any little boys and girls who do eat Pops. <laughs> comes to us from Arnie Peterson. It's written in crayon. <laughs> we've, uh, we've asked you boys and girls to please be careful in Prinny's letter because Uncle Freddy can't always make out all your words. <laughs> This, this one says, Dear Uncle Freddy, the parf, part? We're, uh, we're going to start printing these from now on, boys and girls, aren't we? <laughs> the part of the show that I enjoy the most is when you talk to Mr. Puppet. Uh, well, well, we'll be doing that on Friday. And, um, he says, all the little boys and girls in my neighborhood come, come in and watch it on my TV set. And we roll on the floor and hold our Mommy, that looks like, uh, told me to sit down and write you this letter. And uh, that, as I said, is from uh, Arnie uh, Peterson, and he's 34. <laughs> What's your name? Brucey. Uh -huh. And how old are you, Brucey? You're four. W would you like to see five, Brucey? <laughs> then don't talk in the studio. There is, uh, there is one little letter I did want to bring up because we've received a number of them like this. Uh, this is from a um, Freddie Ferno. Freddie Ferno, is that? He's age seven. And... Um, he writes and he says, Dear Uncle Freddy, I sent in for the $27 decoding ring. <laughs> and the three rooms of carpeting. <laughs> and instead I got back some pictures of older girls in sort of bathing suits. up in Uncle Freddy's office, uh, boys and girls. That's a little service Uncle Freddy runs for some of the older boys and girls. <laughs> so if, 
um, you might hang on to him for 10 or 12 years, Freddie, or um, maybe you might uh, want to send it back to Uncle Freddie and I'll send you back the magic decoder. Don't mail him, Freddie. <laughs> start marching and that'll be the signal for our cartoon okay everybody start marching and wave to your mommies and daddies as you go by the camp that's the way boys and girls keep waving that's the way let's keep going son that's the way right out the door mark fire escape there you go <laughs>
Mutiny Radio without a family is a flat black plastic show. Thanks for listening. Go to the website. You donate money, come down and hear people tell funny stories. Come back. Welcome to the Weekly Review. I have two guests here who have joined me. Please introduce yourselves. My name is Lenora Lee. Yeah, my name is Ian Huynh. Thanks for being here. And there's an upcoming dance performance that we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So you joined us uh, a few months ago. It's hard to keep track of the time these days. Um, and the last performance we saw was just really impactful. It was over on Angel Island. And I just, ugh, I can't say how touching it was it was just really incredible so what were your thoughts about that as an experience (sighs) for an audience member um and first we should also the full name of the performance was within these walls and we created a sequel named dreams of flight yes it was an immersive multimedia dance performance that was staged at the angel island immigration station on angel island state park yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my first time being to Angel Island, so just being in that in that space in nature that's so close to us felt pretty... Um, it just felt like a lot to be there in that space, and then also to be in the particular environment where folks had lived. I think I could really feel the energy of what had taken place there. Mm-hmm. And so it brought... T- it's difficult to put into words. It felt like I just felt like all these emotions being in this space and then seeing, hearing these stories, hearing the people's words shared and interacting with the dancers and having, sharing, it just felt, there are so many different, it's difficult, yeah, it's difficult to put into words. It just felt like it was touching on so many senses because it wasn't just visual. It wasn't just audio. It was more, it was interactive as well, and then also spiritual, I think, to be in the same place that people were before, and to not be there at the same time as them, and still to witness them, in a way. That particular immigration station was open between 1910 and 1940. Uh, it burned down, the administration building burned down in 1940, so they moved it to the mainland. But during that time, there were approximately a million immigrants processed at that station, which most people, I think, maybe even from the Bay Area, don't know about. Mm-hmm. And so of those million immigrants, about 170,000 were Chinese. And because there was a Chinese Exclusion Act in place, um, many of the Chinese were held under scrutiny and held there for much m- longer periods of time. And they were uh, interrogated and basically imprisoned until they can prove their innocence. And maybe Hien was in the piece for uh, both renditions, both mm-hmm. in 2017 and in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I think he can talk a little bit about um, maybe the the differences between both of those performances, even though we restaged it for this past May, uh, we added a sequel, but there were differences in the actual 
um, approach to the audience members and the way that we came kind of charged and activated the second time, um, empowered with a lot of information from the first round, but also realizing that you know we had this ability to contribute to this dialogue and uh, what in terms of what's happening in the current current time. Yeah, the the first time we performed it, yeah, we had no idea of of its reach and its profound um, impact in that moment. So the second time coming around this year performing it, we knew what was at stake and we we tried our best to dive deeper into um, the, those the stories that we were sharing <laughs> and um, Lenora gave me the opportunity to also meet with um, the mother of the person who uh, whose character mm. I was based off of. So we had a, a lunch date together oh. and she shared with us a bit more of, of what happened to him after. And so with all that information in mind and what it felt to have lunch with her, then to go on to performing the piece the second time around, it was, was new. It yeah. was new and it felt... Um, deeper and I think this time we ended on a much more hopeful tone mm -hmm. um, um, a sense of spaciousness and, and um, allowance um, um, and hope yeah yeah, Hien played the character of Wang Gongju, and uh, his daughter, Penelope Wong, mm. was able to, during that luncheon, share quite a bit about her father, um, who he was as a person, his character, his accomplishments. Um, she gave some hints as to what his um, detention time could have been like, and how he was a bit of a dreamer, and he was always looking for... Um, that sense of hope and accomplishment and um, working really hard and achieving. So it was exciting to then build the sequel with this knowledge mm -hmm. and then to have certain sequences feature family, old family photos of him and um, the rest of their kin and uh, for he and to be able to embody the, the essence of him mm -hmm. more. Yeah, it, it was quite exciting and um, just a note on that, this year we received two awards. Oh, so Hien received, you want to just talk about your award? Yeah. <laughs> well, the piece itself from 2017 won um, an outstanding production award from the Isadora Duncan Dance Awards Committee. Mm -hmm. And this was the first, we were the first recipients of it. It's a brand new category. And what it represents is a high level of achievement in all of the categories, whether that's choreography, performance, um, visual design um, text and music so they felt it was at a high level for all the categories and we're very honored to have received that one and he and won a special award as well for his performance yeah it was, it was very special to be with um, the whole cast and production there and to feel you know the, the work being shared and, and recognized on that level and to, to see that you know when we can go out and and um, share such important stories and, and, and feel the community receive it that way. And, yes. and then to be honored right back, it was definitely um, a very beautiful evening. And um, my, my mother was in town uh, mm -hmm. that week. And, you know, at that time I had no idea 
I received the nomination, but I had no idea what the results were. So she came to the ceremony too. And then when they announced the name, uh, I was able to bring her up on stage and I, it made my life <laughs> to see how happy she was and how, how proud she was. Oh, that's beautiful. Congratulations. You oh, both. yeah. Thank you. Uh, was, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it was a really touching performance. Mm, and you. so you're also here to uh, speak about the new performance that you have coming up the first weekend of November. Yes, next weekend, November 1st through 3rd, we're performing a brand new piece entitled In the Skin of Her Hands at Dance Mission Theater, which is just a few blocks away from here. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be utilizing the different rooms in Dance Mission. They have a theater as well as two studios. So in the first half of the program, the audience members will get a chance to travel through the different rooms oh, wow. and to take a look at um, the vignettes and scenarios that we've been setting up. Mm-hmm. So for this piece, it's inspired by the experiences of those dealing with cancer, battling cancer, mm-hmm. specifically breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the last two months, I had the opportunity to interview 31 people. Wow. Um, some of them are cancer survivors and some are family members. Mm-hmm. Also uh, an oncologist and two physical therapists. And um, it's been an incredible process. I would have to say that I've learned so much you know, from people, what people are willing to share mm-hmm. about what they've gone through. And everyone has had very different experiences. Um, some people have had you know, very harsh physical dealings and um, um, chemotherapy and radiation and others have had a lighter load in dealing with the illness. But regardless, there was just um, so much richness to what they were sharing um, that we're including a lot of the voiceover bits of their stories within the piece. So you'll hear in the sound score, Probably almost everybody, (laughs) pretty much almost everybody in there sharing things. Um, I could talk a little bit about, you know, some commonalities, but also differences between them. And I'd actually, maybe while Hian talks a little bit, I can open up some audio from the interviews and and prepare that for you. So maybe Hian can talk a little bit about the genesis of the project and um, how we created the work so yeah. far. Yeah, I'm curious as to what inspired it. Yeah. Yeah, so um yeah, Lenora uh opened up and shared with us that her her sister Karina was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so this that sort of set the tone of how, you know, important and and how uh, close this work was going to be. And so at that in that realm too, we um, had an opportunity to um, take a workshop with um, aerial dance company Bandaloop, mm-hmm. and so we we trained with them for um, for the beginning of the year, and some of us trained during the summer. So we we learned how to, to essentially fly, <laughs> and um, yeah, just seen how much Lenora took on because she's, you know, they're interviewing over 30 people and hearing yeah. all these different stories and perspectives. And we couldn't, I couldn't even imagine how heavy that could be. You know, yes, I'm just yes. here in, in the dance studio, just hearing the, the stories and narratives play, but I can't even imagine, you know, actually meeting each and every one and, and, you know, being 
with their story. So in this sense, this project feels huge and, and how there's just um, so many affected and so yeah. many family members. It just, everyone is, is together on this. Yes. Yeah. And, and I very, very much look forward to opening day or the whole weekend as well because I could just imagine you know the, those that are being interviewed are showing up their family their loved ones so it's just to me it's like a, a gathering a gathering and and just showing up to support and, and fight for this cause yeah it is a it is something that I think affects Every like I, I can't I don't think I know someone who doesn't hasn't who doesn't know someone who has been affected by breast cancer. It feels like it's such a unfortunately ubiquitous disease that it's yeah, it's just affected so many people. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, so uh, what you're about to hear uh, is an excerpt of something that we did. We performed an excerpt at the Jurassic Resident Artist Program in Woodside, California last weekend. And so the excerpt that you will hear right now is from a woman named Valerie So. She's a professor and a filmmaker at San Francisco State University. And um, her thoughts on her experiences with breast cancer. Okay. You know, this is the funny thing about me is that I do a lot of social media, and so I posted it on social media pretty much as soon as I started treatment. And then, I would, and then after a while, I started posting a lot on social media. Like, I would post, like, when I was getting my chemo or, like, you know, my various hair or hats or wigs or whatever. And I think people enjoyed sort of following that journey for whatever reason. Um, so for me, it was always very transparent. Uh, I have another friend who's got, it's some form of leukemia, and she's gone through treatment twice. Like, she's done that thing where they take out, like, do something with her bone marrow, and then she has to be in isolation for a month. Like, really intense. And she said she thinks it's really important for people to know when you have cancer, because she thinks it's a public health crisis, right? She thinks it's not just, like... People don't just happen to be getting this. There's like environmental reasons why people are getting this all the time. And so for her, it was almost like a, this thing is like she wants people to know that something can, needs to be done. Yeah. Right. Some people worry about job security too, like if they're going to be discriminated against because they're sick. And again, you know, I'm really lucky because I am in a position where I have job security and I'm protected. So, but I could see that. I mean, they can't legally fire you, but they could certainly do find other ways to let you go. So. so that was really helpful for me just to not worry so much about why it happened because then what happens is you stop thinking it's something I did, right? It's something I'm, I have to blame myself for some flaw in my life. And then for me it was just like getting through it at that point and just always thinking, focusing on getting through whatever treatment I was doing. Yeah, so that was um, an excerpt from Valerie So's interview, and what you'll hear right now are um, two sections. One is um, from a woman who uh, shared about her experience, and then from an oncologist who I interviewed. Her name is uh, Pamela Munster.
she works at UCSF. She's a researcher and an oncologist, and she had a lot of insight in terms of sharing about what her patients deal with, and she's written a book as well. So we can go ahead and listen to that. In, in oncology, where there are things coming up all the time, new information, nothing is 100% right. I think that caretakers try their best, but the knowledge platform is always changing, which is a good thing. I think we are learning more all the time. My name is Pamela Munster. I'm a Swiss native. I came to the U.S. when I was 28. I, my professional life is really focused on developing new treatments for people with advanced cancer. My focus is actually breast cancer. And then I have a particular interest in, in younger women and fertility and, and hereditary cancer. So it was quite surprising that I was then diagnosed with breast cancer at 48, and I was sort of like not feeling um, that I made any criteria of, of, you know, we don't have a large cancer family. My father's a single child. So I found out that I have a, a BRCA2 mutation. So all of a sudden, I found myself with uh, a disease where I'm really an expert in. Um, I was an interesting um, position to be in. You know, on one hand, I knew so much about this disease. Um, and on the other hand, as a, as a patient, you realize how little you, one actually knows. So I wrote a book, Twisting Fate, about uh, the perspective as a physician and patient. Mm -hmm. And in uh, a lot of... Uh, what I'm going through is like really through the initial stages of, of what the patient experience, what the medical science behind is. But then also this phenomenon of the cancer blues, mm -hmm. uh, how, how significant the, the part depression part um, is not just depression, it's this incredible uncertainty. Depression is just one part, but there's, a, there's another really strong feeling that's really hard to place or explain to someone, mm -hmm. unless you have been there, and that's this uncertainty that comes with the loss of your immortality. And that sort of like black vertex that people fall into. I think everyone has to find their own ways of self-calming or, or accepting, for some people, it's faith. For some people, it's friendship, and for other people, it's exercise. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, for many, it's all of them. And, and I think a lot of it is time. The, the way to acceptance is it's, uh, not, uh, not easy. And, you know, I grew up in, in, in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more pressure on people in the U.S. to be happy, and that is particularly prevalent in California. California is my absolute favorite place to live, but it's also um, a challenging environment to live in. There's the sense here the sky is the limit, but that also gives you that need to constantly reach for the sky, right? When you could allow yourself a day of non-reaching. You know, there's, uh, there's clearly there's, uh, there's factors that are well known and they are clear and there's nothing much you can do about it. And one of them is like having a hereditary cancer mutation like BRCA1 and 2 at a highest risk for, for breast cancer. Like you have BRCA1 or 2 mutation, you have a 70% risk of having cancer, breast cancer over life. 
And then there's other mutations that have a lower risk in the 20 to 40 percent is like ATM check to uh, and many other mutations. And then, of course, there are environmental factors. Obesity. Alcohol has been associated with an increased risk of breast cancer, and frankly, excessive alcohol is bad for everybody, right? Because there's, there's a lot of heart disease associated with obesity. It's like, there's not a liver doesn't like a lot of alcohol either. And then other risk factors are um, excessive estrogen and progesterone exposure has been associated, but is a, is a magnitude lower than, than hereditary mutations. Right lack of exercise or sedentary lifestyle is clearly associated with an increased risk for breast cancer. And exercise is valuable on so many levels that I, I would encourage every woman to exercise regularly. It just does a lot of good things for, all, for overall health, overall emotional well-being. Nice to go out with friends and walk through a forest and just sit in a cafe and smoke. Um, and other risk factors are, we don't know yet, maybe lack of sleep. Sleep has uh, become a much more well-known uh, of a risk uh, a negative health factor if you don't sleep enough. How this pertains to breast cancer is unclear. Some Scandinavian countries have now made breast cancer and shift worker uh, a uh, work-related illness. So, and there's clearly emerging data on that. I think like on a medical front, we have a lot of good resources, a lot of good treatment, there's a lot of advances, and we make a lot of progress when it comes to breast cancer. When it comes to equipping people with the way to handle it, we do very poorly. And you know, mental health support in the US is abysmal at best. Right, it's like there's virtually no support, you know, like, uh, and uh, what I see a lot is um, when you have a mastectomy, the, the surgical impact is quite significant. You got to get the awareness out there of the lymphatic yes. system and how important it is. It's a second circulatory system that is so key, and doing a whole body approach into making the body work as a whole unit is, is really so important. These treatments between 